Connecting life and faith. This is Connections. They're open. They want to learn things. They, they're not really, despite the myths that we often hear about next generations, that they're very anti this, against that. We didn't see that in the data. What we saw was in a generation who was eager, um, really excitable and encouraging. And so we, the word that kept coming up over and over and over again was open. They're an open generation. They're not closed off. They're actually quite excitable. They're quite interested in the world. Uh, and eventually we came across and just said, I think this is an open generation. It describes them. And if I wanted a, a leader to know one thing about 15-year-olds across the globe today and one characteristic, it'd be that they're open and what a beautiful trait. And that's just one of the discoveries that was made in a study that was recently done by the Barna Group. And today we're joined by Daniel Copeland. He is the Associate Vice President of Research for the Barna Group. Today he's going to share with us some of the findings. And when it comes to Canada, there are some shocking stats. We're going to hear all about that today on Connections. What do we know about the next generation, especially when it comes to their faith? Well, the Barnett Group recently did a research study called The Open Generation to find out exactly that. And today we're joined by Daniel Copeland. He is the Associate Vice President of Research for Barnett Group. For those who don't know, what is the Barnett Group? Yeah, so Barna Group is a nearly 40-year-old organization that studies the intersection of faith and culture. We primarily do research with amazing faith-based organizations that are looking to make a difference in the world in a Christian name. Um, we do quantitative, qualitative research and produce research that supposedly, hopefully, helps Christian leaders better understand, uh, understand the times and know what to do. Now, one of the recent studies that Barna did was the open generation. Now, this is very interesting what you did. Tell us about the open generation and why the study was done. Yeah, so the open generation was a global study of teenagers. Uh, It includes responses from nearly 25,000 teens ages 13 to 17 across 26 countries. Uh, So we sent this survey out to a cross section of teens nationally represented in all 26 countries we went to, uh, regardless of their faith background, their leaning. Um, So it was truly representative and it was developed and conducted by us at Barna in partnership with some amazing organizations like Alpha, Biblica, World Vision, uh, with additional support from Christian Vision, Bible Study Fellowship, Christ and Youth, the Association of Christian Schools International. And truly, the goal of this study was to understand the next, next generation. Mm. Uh, we, we've spent, everybody's heard research about the millennial generation, um, but the goal of this study was to advance our understanding of teens globally. What, what's their identity, their values, their views? Um, how can we listen to them, learn from them, rather than just talk at them and assume. Uh, and so it's really about getting under the skin and listening to what what is it that drives this generation and how can we prepare a church um, and Christian leaders and leaders across the globe to really care for uh, compassionately this generation. Now, I want to get a little bit deeper into the discoveries of this study, but I'm just curious when it comes to the demographic, when you chose these 25,000 teens from across the world, how did you choose? I know you mentioned a little bit, but how did you choose these groups? Was it just random? Like, how? How did you choose like a thousand from Canada, a thousand from the U.S.? You know, how did that all happen? 
Yeah, uh, that's a great question. So how do we choose these teens? Uh, so we are a market and social research organization. Uh, market research uh, in quantitative research primarily uses research panels. So these are collective of collectives of individuals who agree to take uh, surveys um, for studies. And so in this, we actually, in every single country, we reached out to teenagers' parents and said, hey, would you be willing to answer a few questions for us and then ask your teenager to take this study? Uh, it was primarily done online. And in every single country, what we do is that we'll study using census information and um, publicly available data. We'll find out, okay, in this country, this is the ratio of males to females. This is the ratio of socioeconomic status. This is the proportions of racial groups, ethnic groups. Uh, here's how the regions fall out. So this is where how many people live in city centers versus in the rural areas. And we'll make sure that our data matches all of those characteristics so that we're that's how we make a representative claim. So if in, uh, for example, in the United States, um, about 35% of people live in the south of the United States. We'll make sure that our data has 35% of people from there. And we do that for every single country. And so these surveys are being sent out online in a uh, representative manner. So it's a pretty cool process. It also takes a long time nice. um, and a lot of coordination. Um, but the hope is that then when we get to a data point and we say something like, um, you know, 50% of teenagers feel this way, we know that that's true across all these demographics, all these different ways that we can cut the data. That's a good question. How long did it take to do this study? Oh, man. So we started having conversations about this study in 2020. Mm -hmm. uh, we, uh, in 2019, Barna Group and World Vision International released a study called the Connected Generation, and that was a study of millennials across the globe. It touched 25 countries, and it was our first rock in the pond of global research um, and being able to have global reach with our data and with our uh, data storytelling. And not long after that study concluded, we started having conversations about the next generation. And uh, that's the, the connected generation talked about 18 to 35 year olds. Well, what about 13 to 17 year olds? Um, kind of uncharted territory. It's um, Gen Z or Gen Z. Um, and we really wanted to understand, well, what's going on there? What might we be missing? What, what, what else is coming sort of thing? Uh, and so conversations started in 2020. Um, and the organization Biblica was the first one we were talking about because they really wanted to understand um, the relationship between how teenagers, the, the issues teenagers are experiencing in the world today, whether that's um, mental well-being, depression, social anxiety, things like that. And then do they, did they believe that the Bible had anything to say about those sorts of issues? And they wanted mm -hmm. to study globally about lining those things up. And the more we talked, we said, well, what about how they care about uh, their faith? Maybe Alpha would be interested in talking about that internationally. What about the difference they'd like to make uh, across the globe? Well, maybe World Vision would like to talk about that. And so over time, we had all these other organizations come to the table to really help us build a truly holistic view of the open generation. Um, and so conversation start in 2020. We went into data collection summer of 2021. So a long period of time um, mm -hmm. starting the conversation. And then we collected all of our data in the summer of 2021. I'll never forget it because it was when the Olympics were happening. Um, yeah. and I'm really, really concerned that for some uh, that some reason, like the Olympics happening might skew our data. Um, we, we don't believe that happened. Um, mm -hmm. But 
got all the data then, spent the rest of 2021 analyzing the data, and then the beginning of 2022 starting to write our reports and figure out, okay, we've just collected 25,000 something interviews from across the globe. What are the stories we can really tell um, that will have a reach across the globe? Why did you call it the open generation? Uh, It's one of the most common questions I've gotten, and it's a really good one. And it's because um, when this project started, we just referred to it as the Global Teens Project or the Global Teens Study. And we never really felt like that was the name of it, but it was just, you know, it's kind of like when a movie's being made, they'll give it like a a name to describe it, even if it's not going to be the final name. we called it the open generation because after we had all the data, we had done all the analysis, um, we released some of our major data points to our partners, all the people who were funding the study. And we held a series of workshops where we just said, help us come up with some words, some adjectives, some nouns, some adverbs that help describe what are we seeing here? Some like, you know, what's the bigger umbrella of all these things? And when we saw data points, like how many, uh, teenagers, the the strong majority are motivated to learn about Jesus. Uh, They're interested in scripture. They're they're not opposed to scripture. They want to make a difference in the world. Um, A truly kind of green generation uh, in terms of they're open. They want to learn things. They're not really, despite the myths that we often hear about next generations, that they're very anti this, against that, we didn't see that in the data. What we saw was a generation who was eager, um, really excitable and encouraging. And so we, the word that kept coming up over and over and over again was open. They're an open generation. They're not closed off. They're actually quite excitable. They're quite interested in the world. Um, and that was such a, the more we talked about it and we even talked with some teenagers and we tested it a little bit, And eventually we came across and just said, I think this is an open generation. It describes them. And if I wanted a a leader to know one thing about 15 year olds across the globe today and one characteristic, it'd be that they're open. And what a beautiful trait. Like what what, what I would love for someone to describe me as open. Um, (laughs) And so we thought that was such a noble characteristic that we said, "Okay, we're going to call this the open generation. It well, it's a big umbrella that you can fit all of our data under um, that accurately describes what we found. And it's the perfect opportunity to take that data and use it if they're willing to learn. So what are some of the biggest discoveries that you made, first of all, internationally when it comes to all of this? Sure. So internationally, uh, some of the big things. So uh, for people who don't know, the open generation, we split up our findings into three sections. Uh, How teens feel about and relate to Jesus, how they view the Bible and how they want to make an impact. So you've kind of got... Uh, Jesus, this is all about the person of Jesus. Bible, this is all about use of the Bible, beliefs about the Bible, and then impact, this is the difference that they're wanting to make socially in terms of justice, in terms of um, making a difference in their community. And so when it came to Jesus, for example, one of the big things that we got to walk away from the study with is saying, people love the person of Jesus. Um, Teenagers of all faith groups, of all backgrounds, they really, really admire the person of Jesus. So for example, we asked teenagers, uh, what are your favorite characteristics of Jesus? And about half of them around the globe say that he's loving. Uh, About uh, 46% of them say he offers hope. he cares about people, 43% of them. Um, At the same time around Jesus, we saw that teens have what we call a partial gospel. So that is that they really care about the person of Jesus, but about less than half of them 
uh, know that Jesus was crucified. Only 47% of teens around the globe say, I believe Jesus was crucified, uh, while a third say that he rose again. Um, so mm. they have this view of Jesus that they think he's good. They think he's um, a real person that lived historically. Um, but at the same time, some of the narratives and some of the historical lessons even haven't sunk true for them. So it's kind of like, I believe in the person, I love the attributes, but the actual beliefs and um, fundamental beliefs that we often attune to in Christianity haven't rung true for them. So it's a positive view, but a partial gospel. Um, it's pretty interesting. Was there anything in this study that really showed why? Like, did they not have access or is it just they just can't understand it? That's a great question, and I would say that that would be a great question for if we did a second study and a follow-up. I wouldn't, we, we didn't anticipate that. I think we anticipated sometimes, uh, especially in Western research, one of the things that we take for granted, um, I'm in the United States, and so I, I know U.S. stats a lot easier off the cuff. 67% uh, of people in the United States identify as Christian, um, and of the uh, 33% uh, who don't identify as Christian, the majority have Christian backgrounds. And so we often take for granted that even though people might not be engaged in a church or they might not be uh, um, believers, so to say, uh, that they know the Christian narrative. And so I don't, we didn't anticipate the part the partial gospel um, sort of narrative. I think we assumed knowledge would be a little higher, especially among Christian teens. Um, I would say of my my own research kind of stepping outside of that own um, that paradigm of the open generation work. I don't think teenagers have had a lot of mentorship around yes. uh, these stories. And so sometimes there's a big difference between I know the Bible says Jesus was crucified and rose again, and I believe it for myself. Um, and we can often know the narratives without believing it as a person. And I think the data might, uh, if we did another study, I think we might learn a little bit more about the distinction between those things that we ask teenagers, what do you believe? Uh, not necessarily, do you know that this is a historical fact? Very interesting, though. Another very interesting thing with the study was the numbers in Canada. The yeah. rates in Canada. Tell us a little bit about that, because I know I told a few of my colleagues here in the office and they were like, what? So can you share a little bit more? Sure. So in general, methodologically, uh, the Canadian report included 1,001 teens from Canada ages 13 to 17. Data is collected in 2021. So in first, just talking about their emotional climate, um, kind of setting a baseline. Compared to their global teens, uh, global peers, Canadian teens are less likely to experience fear and pressure to be successful or perfect. There's actually a nice, we, we, we often characterize next generations as being mentally, um, struggling with mental anxiety and um, struggling in their mental well-being. But what this study really indicated and rings really true in the Canadian data is that teenagers might not necessarily be feeling those pressures. Uh, and, uh, and I'll put a caveat of yet. Um, I, what a lot of data indicates is that starts happening in young adulthood. But for example, uh, only 16% of Canadian teens in our data say that they always feel pressure to be successful. Only 15% say they always feel a need to be perfect. And they're actually, uh, at the same time though, they were a little less likely within the data 
compared to global peers to feel optimistic and confident though. So they're not necessarily feeling the negative, but they're not necessarily feeling the positive either. So for example, about one out of five say they always feel secure in who they are. And about one out of six say, I'm all, I always feel optimistic about the future. And so you have this real uh, teeter-totter or like balancing yes. act when it comes to mental well-being within the Canadian data. Um, at the same time, uh, Teens in Canada are less likely than the global average to commute community satisfaction. Um, we see this a lot in our Western data that community cohesion and basically how attached to one's community is a little lower in the West. And that definitely rings true in Canada. 28% um, said that it's very true that they feel comfortable in their community. 23% say it's very true that they are satisfied with their community. And so we have to lean into as leaders the fact that like there's this balancing happening in their well-being, uh, but at the same time, their sense of co uh, connectedness with their community might be a little lower uh, compared to the global average. Um, yeah. This also reflects when it comes to uh the basis around whether they're committed Christians, nominal Christians or whatnot, because the numbers there were extremely low as well when it came to committed Christians. Yeah, certainly. So within the data, we, we, we'd like to make sure that in our data, we're cutting things up in a way that helps a leader understand the variance of experiences. Not everybody experiences data uh, or the world the same way. So within our Jesus report, we split up our data by committed Christians. And so these are Christians who have made a commitment to following Jesus, nominal Christians. These are teens who say that they are Christian, but they have not made a commitment to Jesus. They're probably more on the peripheral of their uh, uh religious communities, and then uh, all other teens, so teens outside of Christianity. And what you see is that uh, especially true in, well, especially true in the uh, Western nations, the, the disconnect or the difference between a committed Christian and a nominal Christian is very drastic. Mm -hmm. uh, drastic. So for example, committed Christians are far more likely to feel a part of their uh, community and felt, feel well supported by those around them. Um, and that's really encouraging to think about the, the difference just within the Christian sect of having a relationship with Jesus versus not having a relation with Jesus might be the difference between having a community that loves and cares about you and feeling a little isolated from your own community. And as researchers, we're always thinking about what's what what comes first, the chicken or the egg, what's mm -hmm. the cause and what's the effect. But as a leader, we can see that these things rise together, that when somebody has community, they're likely committed to Jesus. And when they're committed to Jesus, they likely have community. Overall, when it came to this study, what would you say is the most shocking or the most surprising finding? Most shocking or most surprising finding, I think it's how much teenagers, they feel, uh, we asked a series of questions that was about, um, how motivated are you to continue learning about Jesus, continue learning about the Bible, and continuing uh, to make an impact in your society, uh, your community? And it was about 70% plus for all three of those that these teenagers are saying, yes, I'm throughout the rest of my life, I want to keep learning about Jesus. I want to keep learning about the Bible. I want to keep making a difference. And uh, I think that's so, so it's almost like it feels shocking to me just because 
of how we often characterize it's such a narrative flip of what we often hear about next generations that mm-hmm. they're disinterested perhaps uh, entitled uh that they, they don't really care about communities or things like that and so i think it was so encouraging to see wait they actually really want to make a difference they really want to learn about these things they're they're not closed off uh they're not closed-fisted about these things they're quite open and excitable do you see a change then coming in the future when it comes to um, Christians and and teens and the next generation? So one of the things that I've been uh, known to say about this study is that I think this study really represents, um, there's some idealism to this study in a sense, because for the majority of recordable human history, if somebody's gonna drop out of religion, for example, they do it around age 19 or 20. Uh, and so, 13 to 17 year olds don't necessarily re- uh, represent that drop off. They don't necessarily represent um, the next like phase of life. And so I think there's opportunity within this data set um, that we can recognize as church leaders like that this age range matters. This age range is important and there's so much that we can glean from this. Maybe um, resilience in one's faith, maybe the seeds are sown for that in the 13 to 17 year old age range. Um, So do I think that there's a shift coming? Yes, I think next generations are going to radically shift how we think about the world. Um, Their openness, their excitableness, their encouragement towards the world, um, the things that they see and kind of push back on in society and say, no, I don't know if it needs to be that way, um, I think is actually probably really good for us in certain ways to humble ourselves and be open to a generation who has experienced the church is quite closed. Um, And so I think that if we can lean into the best of this generation, they could radically change the world. But if the world does what the world does well and uh, abuses them with mental well-being um, and really is downtrodden on them, um, I think we have the opportunity to miss one of the most incredible generations and that is being gifted to us. There, there is a gift in the middle of this generation that I think is very exciting. There is so much more that is interesting about the study, but we don't have time to fit it all in. For our listeners that want to learn more about the study, uh, want to learn more about Barna, how can they go about doing that? Yeah, so go check it out, um, theopengeneration.com. Um, on theopengeneration.com, you can find uh, so many uh webinars that have been conducted. You can get access to the reports themselves. Um, We are releasing across the globe uh, reports for every single country. And so you can get access to those. And if you are a data geek like myself, we even have public access to the data. So you can go onto the site, um, click explore the data, and you can start looking through and maybe finding new things and finding new ideas that maybe we even haven't come across. So theopengeneration.com, Um, And you can always check out Barna.com to see more about what we're doing with this data and what more you can learn about teenagers in your own context. Beautiful. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us and for listening today. Remember, don't forget to subscribe, to rate, and leave a review for our podcast. We'll talk to you again on Connections.